0: Hello and welcome. The following message is from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Well, as we continue our study of the woes this morning, I think every kid over three can understand what the Pharisees are doing wrong. Kids, imagine, okay, you're at the playground and there's a bunch of kids around you and some of those kids ask, hey, do you want to play grounders? Now, how many, how many of you have played grounders before? Yeah, of course. Okay, I think all of you have played grounders. Great. So just imagine you and these kids, you start playing grounders, and everything's fine for like 15 to 20 seconds. But your rules are a little different from their rules. You play a little bit differently than they, they do, and it's not like your way is better and or your way is worse, but it's just different. And one of those kids, little Timmy, he steps in and he kind of takes over. He becomes a little bit bossy because he doesn't like your rules. And suddenly you're all in this argument where you're like, I'm not it. She's it. No, he's it. No, and no, I'm not. And my feet weren't on the ground or you were peeking. You didn't have your eyes closed on and on and on. And so there's this argument. And sometimes maybe you even are able to sort it out. But sometimes like that's the end of the game. How many of you have ever experienced something like that in a game of grounders? Yeah, right? And it's like, that's it. Your rules are dumb, Timmy. I don't want to play with you. I'm not playing anymore. I'm going home. And Timmy ends the whole thing by saying, yeah, well, I win. How many people, how many of you kids ever have had that happen to you? Has that ever happened to you when you're playing at the park? Now, fundamentally... The Pharisees that Jesus is talking to have done exactly the same thing as that kid, Tim- Timmy. And uh, in this first woe, what we need to understand is that the way into Jesus' kingdom is like the way into the biggest game of grounders that you can imagine. Okay? And and everybody's invited. The way into the kingdom is open. It's supposed to be open. And Jesus uses this this metaphor, this word picture of of a door or a gate. And the Pharisees are like Timmy, and they are the they're the gatekeepers. They are these self-appointed gatekeepers and they're like the bouncers and they're they they stand in front of the door and they sort of plant their feet so that the door can't swing open and let anybody in. So that when you want to enter, the Pharisees kind of look you up and down and they they roll their eyes and they go Oh, yeah, right. Like, we're going to let you in. And as Jesus says, they shut the door in people's faces. They shut the door in people's faces. And when when the last of the people are turned away, according to Jesus, the Pharisees are actually going to be surprised to find that they don't go in either. They don't go into this kingdom. They think they can and they can't. And now that's a pretty serious thing to say. Uh, last week when we were together, we introduced the Pharisees, and we saw they're the faithful ones, like they're the they're the biblical ones in that culture. And what they don't realize though is how dangerous they've actually become. Because in in verse thirteen, notice what Jesus doesn't say to them. What he doesn't say to them is, "You guys, you figured it out, you found the password." I closed the door. I didn't want the door open. I had it closed. And I was waiting for someone smart like you to come along and solve the puzzle. And you did it. You did it, guys. From here on, you judge. Okay? Now from here on, you guys can judge who comes in. I totally trust your judgment. I'm going to delegate that responsibility to you Pharisees. It's up to you now. He doesn't say that. What he's saying is, the door is supposed to be wide open and you keep closing it in the faces of the people. Like there are these people who are trying to enter and they should, but they won't. And it's because of you. Like I'm saying yes to them and you are saying no. Jesus is saying yes to these people and the Pharisees are saying no. No wonder Jesus says, woe to you. No wonder Jesus says, woe to you. They're, they're including people that God wants excluded, which, like the Pharisees. And they're excluding the people that God wants included. So there is this huge problem of division, of judgment, and unity that the Pharisees have. And we need to have a conversation today about that. Well, before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he stayed up all night. And he was agonizing in prayer. We call this Jesus' high priestly prayer, uh, that he prayed there in the garden uh, all night. And, and uh, if you want to know what he prayed for, what was he praying for? He prayed for us. Uh, the Gospel of John tells us it, it, that when Jesus prayed, he, prayed I pr- he said, I pray for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's from John 17. So Jesus' prayer here in the garden is that his followers are going to be one just as he and the Father are one. Just In just the same way that the Father and Christ are one, Jesus prays that the church Will be one so think of that think of that now Jesus and the Father they are one, but they are not the same there's there's uh, there's difference there's distinction okay and in fact, together with the Spirit, the Father and the Son are one God and we call this Trinity, the Trinity and within the Trinity there is this in a sense there's perfect like oneness because it, it's one God and he never turns against himself. Right, They never disagree and never abandon each other. And, and uh, on the other hand, within Trinity, there is perfect threeness. Because each person is distinct and has their own personhood and mission. Uh, and, and, and Jesus prayed that we would have that kind of oneness. That there would be unity and diversity at the same time. Now, how did the Pharisees do with this? How'd they do with this? Well, not so good. Not so good. The Pharisees, they get oneness. They get that. Like people like the Pharisees, they love unity as long as we are unified in what they teach. Like they love oneness as long as we are one in worshiping the way that they worship, as long as we are unified in agreeing to follow their rules. Like, we can enter the kingdom if we agree to be just like them. That's the kind of oneness the Pharisees uh, love and embrace. And I'm going to tell you a secret. When it's up to you to decide what unites us, and when it's up to you to decide who's in and who's out, that feels really good. Like, that kind of power and control and, and that, that level of, of discretion and judgment, that, that feels great. But i got to tell you, that's not Unity. That's not unity. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure that's the definition of a cult. But it is not the way of Jesus. It's not the way of Jesus. Now, let's, let's pause here for a minute. Let's, do, let's think of this as a bit of an experiment, okay? This will be fun. This is a kind of a unity checkup, okay? I'm going to ask us a few questions. Don't answer these out loud. Don't, you don't even have to put your hand up or anything like that. But just let me ask a few questions just to see how, you, how we're doing at this idea of unity. Like, like Jesus kind of unity. The first question is, how many of us have ever thought, yeah, unity is great. I love unity, but how are we going to have unity with those guys? How many of you ever thought that? I mean another way you might ask or might say it or express it is like is to say, yeah, we can have unity once those guys smarten up and start taking the Bible as seriously as we do. How many people have ever said that? Okay, second question second question how many of us have a Christian friend whose beliefs or maybe their traditions uh, maybe they're even their theology okay there there is, is just kind of it's kind of different from your own and you're actually glad that they're not part of this church eh? Okay? <laughs> like when they told you when you when you' uh, you know when you think about having them a part of this community and, and they're not you, it just occurs to you like, wow, we really dodged a bullet on that one. Like, thank goodness. How many of you have felt that? Yeah. Some, some of you have that friend. Some of you might be that friend for, for other people. Um, third question, though. Imagine this. Imagine a new neighbor moves in a couple of doors down. All right. They're, they move onto your street, a couple of doors down, and it turns out that they're followers of Jesus. Now, can you think of one or two churches in Hamilton that if say if they said, yeah, I'm part of that church, then you would go, oh, man, dang it. Like, shoot, man, I was really hoping that they'd join us. How many of you have ever said that? Yeah, I I totally get that. I mean, and same here. Like, I've I've had all of those thoughts, and worse, and worse. Like, sometimes we're actually not that different from the Pharisees after all. Like, We all want to close the gate and and keep out certain kinds of people, and we want to close the gate and keep in certain kinds of people who are just like us. We do that, don't we? And so that's why we need to hear this first woe today that Jesus pronounces on the Pharisees. In fact, what I'd like to do this morning is, I'd just like to consider Jesus' prayer for unity, okay? I'd like us to think about what Jesus prayed for when he prayed for unity, and just see in light of the Pharisees, in light of what they're doing by shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, is Jesus' prayer being answered or not? Like, is are the Pharisees just doing too much harm to the body of Christ, or is Jesus' prayer being answered? So, spoiler, I actually think it is. I think it is being answered. I think God is answering that prayer. In fact, I want to share a few reasons why that's true. I want to share a few reasons why I'm pretty sure the church is going to be okay. All right? In fact, today, think of these as three reasons why we should thank God that our unity is up to Jesus and not up to the Pharisees. All right? Three reasons we can thank God that our unity is up to Jesus and not up to the Pharisees. We're going to stick with this uh, body metaphor and uh, and 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 as we do, I think like, I'm pretty sure Jesus would want us to know first of all that Jesus is okay with some scars on the body. Jesus is okay with there being some scars on the body. Now, in the earliest days of the church, the church was was attacked from from outside, and the empires did all all they could to to crush the church, and they came close sometimes, and there were seasons when the church suffered. Terribly from from persecution and martyrdom. But but thank God, the church survived. And today, the church has some scars from from that season, from from that period. The church has some scars, okay? But it's also true that some of the scars on this body are self-inflicted. They're self-inflicted. What do I mean? Well, we don't actually have to go too far back to find... Christian people involved in horrible, evil things, like the sorts of things that taught the culture to believe that the church is evil. Like maybe you've even been asked by friends of yours, how can you be part of the church? How could you want to belong to something that is responsible for so much harm? And, and, and these you know these friends, they friend, these people. They they might raise examples like colonialism, or the the residential schools in Canada, or the Jim Crow laws in the U.S., or conversion therapy. They might raise any of these examples, which were defended at the time on biblical grounds. They were defended according to scripture, and 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 you might want to distance yourself from these these people, or distance yourself from these arguments or ideologies, and you might say, well, those weren't real Christians. You see, a, a real Christian would never do that. And, except, like, they were. They were real Christians. At, at least they thought so. You know, they thought so. And, and, and not for a second do I want to minimize the evil of what happened, okay? But I would just point out that if you and I say, that those guys weren't real Christians, that's actually the same thing that the Pharisees did. Like if we shut the door on everyone who embarrasses us or sins different from us or sins worse than us, it's actually the same problem. And and, and rather than disassociating ourselves from those parts of the body, I think that we would do better to treat these as self-inflicted scars. These are self-inflicted scars, and and, and we we had better not hide them. We had better not hide them. Like, you do remember, of course, that when, when Jesus was resurrected, his resurrected body had scars on it, right? Now, he didn't have to keep them, but he did. Because those scars preach the gospel and the the apostle thomas he at one point he was he doubted he wouldn't believe until he could put his, his until he could look on jesus with his own eyes and and put his fingers in the wounds so once one day uh, thomas sees jesus he he saw the scars he touches them and thomas says my lord and my god my lord and my god and he becomes convinced because the scars preach the scars are are, are a sermon that says Look at what was done to him, and yet he lives. Well, in the same way, the church has scars. The church has permanent nasty scars, okay? And some of those scars are from ways that the church suffered, and hopefully the world sees those scars and says, look at what was done to them, and they are still here. Who is this Jesus? Okay? And, and and some of those scars, though, are self-inflicted. They're they're like a, a permanent reminder of what happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus. And and those scars are very visible, and those scars preach. And hopefully the world sees those self-inflicted scars and says, Look how much they have been forgiven. Like, who is this Jesus if he has room for them if he can forgive them maybe he can accommodate me maybe he can accept me and forgive me after all and so it seems to me the pharisees close the door on people with scars but Jesus doesn't I mean, Jesus can handle scars he can handle scars and 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 the church the body of Christ has a ton of scars And so we should be glad that our unity isn't up to the Pharisees, but it's actually up to Jesus. Well, another another reason we can thank God that our, our unity is up to Jesus and not up to the Pharisees is because it's actually okay that the body has some joint pain. Like, it's okay that the body has some joint pain. What do I mean? I mean that it's okay that there is tension and disagreement between some of the parts of the body. I think it's even okay that some of the parts of the body don't get along sometimes. Now, that's not a popular opinion, but I, I actually think it's really true and biblical. So check this out up on the screen. This is a, a, this is a picture of sort of a family tree. It shows roughly how many Protestant denominations there are. And this 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 picture stops at 1946 when it was made and so in nineteen since nineteen forty six obviously there have been many more church splits, and new denominations have formed, and some denominations have even died out now kids what's a denomination um a church a, a denomination is a group of churches who have certain values and traditions and beliefs in common, okay for example, the Baptists are an example of 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 denominations okay they're a group of churches, and they have actually almost everything in common with the Presbyterian denominations. But those churches, those traditions, they they disagree over how and when baptism should happen. And so rather than, than getting into a lot of unending fights over baptism that just go on and on, what both groups have done is they've said, we love each other and we love Jesus and we can agree to disagree on this. And, and when that happens, that's basically how a denomination uh, comes to be. That's where denominations come from. And depending on who you ask, there are between 200 and like 33,000 denominations. Okay, I said that right. There are between, Depending on who you ask, there are between 200 denominations or 33,000 of them. And some people in our culture, in our day, look at those numbers of, as proof of how divided we are. And and I just, I see the opposite. I see the opposite. In fact, I think what the tr- the truth is what Paul was getting at when he used the body metaphor to sort of defend the beauty of the diversity of the different parts in the body. He says in First Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are, We're all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And so in the church, it's like we've got all these different groups and all these different parts and sections, and they shouldn't get along. They shouldn't be able to get along, and yet they're one. They are. They're they're formed into one body. And Paul explains, sometimes there is tension. As he goes on, he says, like, maybe, maybe a foot might say to a hand, man, I wish I were more like you. And maybe an ear says to an eye, man, I just, I wish I was more like you. But Paul says, the body needs feet and the body needs eyes. And maybe an eye says to the hand, well, I don't need you. And maybe a head says says to the feet that you don't belong. And here's the thing. That's what the Pharisees did. And they're wrong. The Pharisees thought they can open and close the door for different parts that belong and for the parts that don't belong in their opinion. And, and, and And if you're going to ache and complain and make it awkward for us all to get along, the Pharisees would say there is no room inside for you. They want everybody to be the same with no friction, no tension between the parts. They want us all to get along so that way we can be one. And that's wrong. It's actually wrong because, notice, Paul doesn't say, you guys, get along so that you can become the body of Christ. What he says in verse 27 is, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is, is a part of it. Like in other words, we need to accept each other because we already are one body. Like tension and discomfort between the parts is assumed in Paul's mind. He, he assumes that there's tension and and discomfort and pain and friction. Like it's normal. Of, of course there is. Like what else would we expect? What else would we expect when that many parts come together and form one body? That doesn't prove that we're dying or that we're disconnected or that we're dysfunctional and mismatched. It proves that we're one body that has a whole bunch of different parts. Listen, if we weren't one, it wouldn't hurt. Let me say that again. If we weren't one, if the church wasn't one, then it wouldn't hurt. But I think the discomfort means that we are learning, that it's, that it's a work in progress, it's coming along, and we will get there. And, and I just think that's such a helpful word for the church in our culture. Okay, the kingdom is messy, and there's tension, and there's disagreement, and, and that's how we know that it's real. Now, the Pharisees, they have no time for that, but, but it's not up to them, it's up to Jesus, and that's good news. In fact, I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to say maybe the greatest reason that we can thank God that our unity is up to Jesus and not up to the Pharisees is because it's okay that some of the parts have even been amputated. It's even okay that some of the body parts have been amputated. Now, you know what an amputation is. An amputation is a surgery that a doctor does when there's a part that has become dangerous or perhaps threatens the body, like a tumor. Okay, or, a, or a ruptured spleen, or an appendix that's burst, or something like that. You, you operate to remove those parts. It sort of reminds me of a scene in, in one of my favorite movies, True Grit. Have you guys seen True Grit before? So good. I think it's in my top ten. But anyway, the main character is a, is a young girl named Maddie, and she's bent on revenge. And uh, one, at one point, her quest for revenge has her in the desert, and she falls into this cave of rattlesnakes. And one of those rattlesnakes actually bites her on the hand, and the venom from the snake bite starts to spread from her hand through her body and if it reaches her heart, of course, well she'll die. Then the hero comes and he finds her his name's rooster Cogburn and he he uh, he finds her and he sucks out some of the poison from her hand and he he uh, you know he takes the poison into his own body and he spits it out, and he puts her on horseback and he races through the night on horseback to help get her to a doctor who's able to save her life. But the doctor's only able to save her by amputating her arm because the poison had spread from her hand up her wrist through her arm coming up to her shoulder. And, and it was so full of poison it had to come off. Like for that doctor, it was a choice between her arm or her life. And they made the right choice. They chose her arm. So she had her arm amputated because it was so full of poison so that she could live. And it seems to me that from time to time, the same thing happens in church world. It happens to the body of Christ. When when it does and a part is amputated, it is because Jesus has judged, Jesus has decided that it was necessary for the good of the body to keep something from spreading that would harm the rest of the body. In fact, in John 15... Jesus uses a different metaphor, not a body, but of a grapevine with branches. And what he says there in John 15 is he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not pardon me, while every branch that does bear fruit, he he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Do you hear that? Branches that bear no fruit get cut off. Branches that do bear fruit are pruned, have little pieces cut off of them so that it'll be even more fruitful. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's a part of me that isn't fruitful or isn't helpful to my system, I would way rather lose that part than lose my entire body, than lose my entire life. Wouldn't, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree with that? And so think, the Pharisees, they stand at the guard, pardon me, they stand at the gate and they say, all right, hang on a second here. And the Pharisees are like, hold on guys, on the other side of this door is the kingdom of heaven. Like, do you get that? The one kingdom of heaven. There is no room in here for a disfigured, misshapen body like yours. So why don't you take your missing hand and your missing foot and you take your cane or your crutches and you you beat it because we don't need your kind here. That's what the Pharisees say. But Jesus says that if we've had parts cut off, that doesn't prove that we're evil. It doesn't prove that we're unfaithful. It might mean that. It might mean that he's, he's cut those parts off because we're not fruitful or because there's a poison in it that's spreading. It might be that. But it might also just mean that we've been pruned. We've been pruned. And I think this is such good news. I think, I, like, I know of a lot of Jesus followers who have been through a process like this, where, like, where they had to learn to discard beliefs that were untrue or that were unhelpful. And there's pain in that. There is pain in leaving behind traditions that are actually untrue or unhelpful. I, I can I can appreciate that I can empathize with that. I know churches that have been through this. I know churches that have been pruned of of members or pruned of families or pruned of groups of families and it was painful Every time it was painful to the people in the church and to the leadership and to the pastors it was it was always painful but thanks to Jesus we will enter his kingdom and maybe we'll be limping, all right? Maybe we'll be hobbling along, maybe we'll be missing a couple of fingers, maybe we'll be missing an arm, but we will have been fruitful and whole in him and alive in him. So, so what we're seeing here is that Jesus won't reject us just because we're wounded or just because we've made mistakes, even if the Pharisees do. And he doesn't give up on the body even though we've got all kinds of aches and pains between the parts. The Pharisees do, but but Jesus doesn't. And and Jesus doesn't turn away the the church just because the church is covered in all kinds of scars. The Pharisees do. And Jesus does not. And I think of Jesus in the garden again, and I hear his prayer that that we'd be one though many, and that we'd be many though one. And it seems to me. Like, that prayer was answered. Yeah, like, honestly, it's, it's not, things aren't as great as they could be, but it's also not as bad as it could be either. Isn't that right? The, the church is one, though we are many, and, and we have scars and aches and wounds to prove it, and the church includes all kinds of people and churches that aren't supposed to be able to stand each other. We're not supposed to be able to get along, and, and sometimes we don't, and we're still one. And there are all these parts that are, seem like a totally weird fit, like these churches or groups are totally weird doing things we would never do in our context, but it works for them. And it actually supports the work of the body in their context. And, and the reason it works is because even though we are one, we are all so many. And it makes me realize, no wonder Jesus got so upset at the Pharisees. No wonder he got so upset. He's he's trying to open the door to the nations, and all they want to do is close it. So, So listen to Jesus' warning, okay? The Pharisees in the church need to stop telling Jesus who he can and can't let into his kingdom. Let me say that again. The Pharisees in the church need to stop telling Jesus who can and can't enter his kingdom. And the last thing that we want to do, the last thing that we want to see happen is that we would be on the other side of that door saying no to anybody to whom Jesus has already said yes. That's the last thing we want. Well, near the end of our Bible, we have this picture of Jesus and he's standing outside of a house and 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 you would be familiar with this with this metaphor Jesus standing outside the door and knocking this time it's him who's knocking on the door this comes from revelation chapter 3 and and with this i close and in revelation 320 jesus says here i am i stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door i will come in and eat with that person and they with me if they hear my voice and open the door okay now isn't Is it not mind-blowing that Jesus knocks? What's Jesus doing knocking? He is Jesus. He doesn't have to let a door stand in his way. He can blow that door apart into splinters if he wants. And he can knock all the walls down and reduce them to atoms if he wants to. And think of today's woe. Where you've got Pharisees who had shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces and imagine what it's like if there's a Pharisee on the other side of that door when Jesus is knocking so Jesus knocks on the door and a Pharisee whispers through the through the door hey what what's the password and jesus goes i I'm, I'm I'm Jesus and they say "No that's not the password and uh And Jesus knocks again. The Pharisees say, what's the password? And Jesus says again, you guys, it's me, I'm Jesus. This time, maybe they slide that little window open and they look him up and down. And they see scars on his forehead from the crown of thorns. And they see holes in his hands and his feet. And then they look and they see a group of people with Jesus and they see their scars and they see their wounds. And the Pharisees, uh, they're disgusted, actually. They shake their heads and they, they say, forget it. You can't come in. Beat it. They send Jesus away himself. And that's absurd, right? Isn't That's a, that's a crazy picture. It's crazy to think that that Jesus would knock on the door and the Pharisees would close the door on him. The, The Pharisees would turn him away. It's crazy to think that. And it happens all the time in church world. Every time we say no to someone to whom Jesus has already said yes, that's what we are doing. Every time we say no to a church to whom Jesus has already said yes. And woe to us if we do. Woe to us if we do. We do not want to be on the other side of that door, holding it closed in the face of Jesus or anybody that he wants to bring into the kingdom with him. That's the way of the Pharisees, but it is not the way of Jesus or his people. Thanks for listening to this message from Benediction Church in Hamilton, Ontario. Feel free to copy and share these resources, but please don't alter the content in any way. We invite you to visit us online again soon at www.benediction.church for more teaching and information about how you can join us in serving and praying that it would be in Hamilton as it is in heaven.